You know, you have probably heard of a humble brag, you know, when you're really bragging but you want to sound humble. Well, in the church, there often is what I would call a holy wine, uh, and I don't mean what you serve at communion, I mean holy, W-H-I-N-E, holy wine, where we want to sound like we're in the right, but we're still whining or complaining about something. It goes something like this. I don't mean to complain, but it sure would make the service go better if the preacher shortened his sermons a little bit. Or, I don't want to be the one who says anything, but you know, Doris in the Bible study, she is just ruining everything. You see, somehow we think that if we preface it with, I don't mean to, or I'm not one to, that somehow it erases what we say after that. Uh, But Paul thinks very differently. Right after uh, Paul has told the Christians at Philippi to work out their salvation with fear and trembling because it's God who works in them to will and to do His good pleasure, he tells them how to apply this. And and what does he say? It it would be surprising to all the holy whiners out there. Uh, He says that, We should do everything uh, without grumbling or complaining. And that's where we pick up today in our study of the book of Philippians. We're in Philippians chapter 2, and we're going to pick up in verse 14. It's just a few verses, but ones that I think will be very helpful for us as we continue on in life in situations that could be very easily complained about uh, and in which we could easily grumble against all that's happening in our life and in our world. So let's listen to God's Word. If you have a copy of God's Word, I encourage you to go get it and uh, open up to Philippians chapter 2, beginning in verse 14. Hear God's Word. Do all things without grumbling or disputing, that you may be blameless and innocent children of God without blemish, in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation, among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding fast to the word of life, so that in the day of Christ I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain, even if I am to be poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with you all. Likewise, you also should be glad and rejoice with me. Thus ends the reading of our text. Anytime that we uh, read God's Word, whether it's by ourselves, whether it's while we're uh, listening to a sermon online, or whether we're all together in church, we need God's help so that we can benefit from it. So let's pray for that help right now. Heavenly Father, we love you. And we are so thankful for your goodness and grace to us. Often we find, O Lord, that our thankfulness deteriorates and becomes discontent and then complaining and grumbling. But O Lord, as you instruct us in your word here through the Apostle Paul, we pray that as we listen to your word, as we know you better, as we understand how to become more like Jesus, that we will be convicted of our grumbling and instead have joy. For this to happen, we need your Spirit to work in us. 
that we will understand and believe your word and that we will apply it in our lives. And I need your spirit to help me, help me to communicate your word to your people, that they might be encouraged, that they might be prompted uh, toward reflecting your holiness, and Lord, that they might give you glory. Oh, help us now, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. As we look at this text uh, today, we are going to look at it really under two uh, big headings, a life without grumbling and a life full of joy. So we want to just look at those as Paul explains uh, to these Christians in Philippi and to us today uh, what the Christian life uh, entails. And so first of all, we want to look at a life without grumbling. Now, to understand what Paul is saying here, uh, we need to really understand that what Paul is explaining is an old problem. He is explaining a problem that was particularly uh, noticeable in the Old Testament. For the people of God, when they were in slavery in Egypt and were delivered by God through His mighty power and through His goodness and grace, through the, the prophet Moses, they were delivered. And yet, whenever they went into the wilderness between Egypt and the land that God had promised, they began being dissatisfied dissatisfied with their situation, dissatisfied with what God had provided them. And, we've, and we have two different passages that would be easy to look at. Now, I'm not necessarily going to turn there, but I want us to point it out. In Exodus chapter 16, verses 7 through 12, you'll find a nice passage that talks about the people of God grumbling because they were concerned about food. And this precedes God providing manna and quail for them to eat in the wilderness. But they grumbled against Moses and against Aaron. And God said, that grumbling is really against me. And then also in Numbers uh, chapter 14, verse 27 through 29, there we see a passage where the people of God grumble, not because of food, but because of fear. Their spies had gone into the land of promise and had seen what seemed to be giants living there. And so they came back and spread faithlessness in the people of God. That They began to suggest that God had brought them, uh, delivered them by grace out of slavery in order to cause them to die at the feet of these giant people who lived in the land where God was leading them. And in each case, God uh, not only uh, recognized that people were grumbling against Him, but He also recognize that those people had a hard heart and it caused great pain and struggle and strife in their lives and in the lives of their children after them. And so Paul, in bringing this up, is simply telling these folks in Philippi, be the opposite of that. It's an old problem, it's a common problem, but it shouldn't be a problem for believers in Jesus. We should not be grumblers or people who are disputing with one another. Instead, we should live in reflection uh, to, Christ, uh, to Christ. And uh, if we do that, it shows our true nature. That's really where Paul goes on uh, as he kind of is reflecting on this old story. In verse 15, he says that you may be blameless and innocent, children of God, without blemish in the middle of a crooked and twisted generation. Now, that language is incredibly reminiscent 
of language in the Old Testament, in that story about God's people moving from Israel into the land of promise. We'll find it in Deuteronomy chapter 32 and verse 5. Here is what's called in the Old Testament the Song of Moses. It's where Moses is summarizing his life and ministry and time with the people of Israel. And this is what he says about the people that he had led. He says in verse 5, they have dealt corruptly with him. They are no longer his children because they are blemished. They are a crooked and twisted generation. You can hear the similarity in language to the language Paul uses here in Philippians chapter 2. And what Paul is saying is the, the verdict that God gave to the people of Israel of old because of their grumbling and complaining is not going to be true of you. He says about those people of old that they uh, were no longer His children because they are blemished, but about people who have believed in Christ and Philippi. He says, you may be blameless and innocent children of God without blemish. Now that's interesting. And instead of calling the people of God crooked and twisted, he says that's the world in which Christians live. And that's very, very helpful for us because it helps us understand that because of who Jesus is, because of His life, because of His death, because of His resurrection, those who have faith in Him have the opportunity through His Spirit to live a completely different way and to enjoy to a much greater extent the blessings of being God's child. Because of all that Jesus did, if we put our trust in Him, that His life and His horrible death was for our sake, that we might have life and that we might escape the judgment that would come after our death, we will have a new life and a new perspective. And it says that we will be the blameless, the ones who have no spot, really borrowing from Old Testament imagery from the sacrifice, that we will be unblemished in the middle of a world that's crooked and twisted. He's telling the Philippians, this is theirs. That is their true nature. And then he says that there should be a bright contrast between you and the world when you work out your salvation by not complaining or being involved in disputations. And how does he explain that? Notice the language that he uses here. He says, among whom you shine as lights in the world. Now, to understand this language, it really does remind us that Paul was a man steeped in Old Testament Scripture. He had learned the Old Testament Scriptures from the time he was born. He became an expert. He went to the, probably the best schools that were available for him to learn more and more about it. And so when he thought about God and people who are faithful to him, all of these passages came rushing back to him. This passage, talking about shining uh, in the midst of this generation, really picks up the language of Daniel uh, chapter 12. If we look there at verses uh, 3 and 4, we, we find the prophet Daniel uh, at the very end of his prophecy talking about the future, the future when God would make all things right. He really was thinking about the end of the world. And he says this about the people of God. 
And those who are wise shall shine like the brightness of the sky above. And those who turn many to righteousness like stars forever and ever. Here, Daniel is using the language of the stars in the sky that set against the darkness of the night sky, these bright uh, luminaries give light and direction and enable other people to know where they're going and to see. And he says, the people of God are that in the darkness. Paul says, for those who are not complaining, who are not grumbling, who are not arguing amongst themselves, they are standing in contrast with the world. And boy, can we see that uh, so much today. Whenever someone doesn't complain, but actually has faith, or is thinking about how good God is, or giving Him praise, they stand out in our world where it is really almost a pastime to complain. Uh, I, I believe that we live in a world where in the media and in the, on the internet, it's as though we are competing about how badly we can be unsatisfied uh, so that we complain about every little thing. Uh, we see it uh, in, while we're looking at this text at the end of April in 2020. We are living in a world where the government has promised to send uh, millions of people money that they didn't apply for. Uh, but that they are getting because of the very difficult economic times we're in. And yet, as soon as these things are announced, people begin complaining that they're not getting their money they didn't expect or deserve fast enough. Isn't that the way we are? It takes us about two seconds from, hey, we're happy about it, to, oh, we're complaining about it because it's not coming the way we want it or as fast as we want it. And Paul says that's not the way people of faith are. The people who have put their trust in Christ, they don't think that way. As a matter of fact, Jesus himself said uh, that his followers would act very differently than that. And the Sermon on the Mount, which was probably the most famous sermon that Jesus preached in the Gospels, we find this interesting statement in Matthew chapter 5, verse 14 and following. Jesus says, you are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Jesus says, people who follow me, they will be like a light that shines in the darkness, and people will see it and see by it and that's what Paul is saying. Paul is saying when we start living in to what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ, and unlike the world, we are not grumbling and complaining. We give a light. Now, honestly, Paul understands that some people will respond to that light and be drawn to it. They'll want to know more about it. They'll want to know more about why people of faith, people who follow Jesus, are so much different than the rest of the world. Others will be repelled by it. They'll protest against it. They will seek to cause trouble for people who believe in Jesus. But yet, we are still to be shining in the world. Well, how do we do that? How do we have that bright contrast? It is by having the witness of the Word. Notice that 
Paul, as soon as he talks about shining as lights in the world in verse 16, says, holding fast to the word of life. The only way Christians shine is when they hold on to what Paul here calls the word of life. Now, what does that expression mean? Well, word of life was shorthand for what we would call the gospel, the good news, that even though every single one of us has been a rebel against God, has been determined to do our own things, has rejected His gracious love over and over again, that God became a man in the person of Jesus Christ. And unlike us, He lived a perfect life. And at the end of that, of that life, He went and He died on a cross. A horrible death for the worst of people, but a horrible death for one who had never sinned, who had never done anything wrong. And this was the death he died, not because he had done anything to deserve it, but because I deserve it, and because everyone who has rebelled against God, who has done what the Bible calls sin, deserve it. But he takes our place. He becomes a substitute for us. And then on the third day after his death, he rises from the dead to show that his victory over that was complete, that For all who believe in Him, He has taken all of their sin and the punishment that it deserves away from them and has given to them His righteousness. That's the gospel. That's the word of life. When you hear it, if you are someone who is a a follower of Jesus right now, you remember when you heard it or you remember hearing it time after time when you were younger. And at some point, The Spirit moved you when you heard it. And you realize that is what I need in my life. That's what I must uh, pay attention to. Jesus is the one who is answering my fundamental need to know that I am right with God and that I can be right with other people. And for those people, they they would easily understand why Paul calls it the word of life because it's a word that gives life. But here's the thing. It's a word that gives life not only to the one who believes, but it gives light. Uh, It gives life to all who see their light in the world. You see, this dark world in which we shine is one that needs to hear the word of life. And Paul here says, by holding fast to that, you will be able, as uh, the NIV translates, you will be able to hold out the word of life. You will be able to communicate it to other people. Of course, Paul's assumption in all of this is that you will do so if you are working out your salvation by not grumbling and not arguing. But how often in our world are Christians more defined by our arguments than by our cooperation? More defined by what we're not happy about, what we're protesting, than what we are excited about, and what gives us hope and joy. Paul says we need to be known for our unity. We need to be known for our contentment. We need to be known for our faith. If we are that, then we will be in stark contrast to the world in which we are. Now, I know that during this time, right now, late April 2020, Christians probably aren't arguing as much because they're just not together. But the question is, when we finally get back together, will we pick up where we left off 
on having the holy wine, or will we graciously consider the needs of another more important than ourselves? I think Paul has already said in this letter. Will we shine, or will we blend right in in the world in which we are? This is what Paul is concerned about. But secondly, we don't want to move from this text until we look at the second part of it. So the first part, as we said, is what a life without grumbling looks like. But then Paul turns his attention to a life full of joy. Now, I want, I want not to grumble and be joyful, and that's a struggle. The longer this goes on, the more the grumbling kind of comes bubbling up. And I don't do holy wine. I just do straight-out whining. And I, I'm sure you don't. And I'm thankful you're listening to someone who struggles as much as I do. But how do I live differently? Well, Paul says one way we do it is by looking forward. So when he thinks about a life full of joy, he looks to his future joy. Now, how does he describe this? It seems like a hard contrast between the first part of verse 16 and the second part of verse 16. But notice what he says. So that in the day of Christ, I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain. What does Paul say? Paul says, as you, Christians in Philippi, continue to not complain, to not grumble, not argue with one another, but you shine as lights in the darkness, holding fast to the word of, of life. He says, by doing that, you assure me that in the future, I am going to be so excited about what God has done in you through Jesus. Because that's the only way to understand what Paul says. Because literally what Paul is saying is that I will boast in you in that future day when God brings all things right. He says, now, of course, Paul elsewhere says you can't boast before God. And so he can't mean that I'm going to brag about how great the, the, the Philippian Christians are. What he means is, I am going to give glory to Jesus because of you. I'm going to point to the life of those Christians, Paul says, and I'm going to say, look at your goodness, God, in Christ. Look at Christ's sufficiency. Look at Christ's beauty. Look at all that he has done for your people as exhibited by and through the lives of these believers. And that is helpful for us because in the struggle uh, with the grumbling and the many other sins that we struggle with, it is good to keep our eyes on that future joy that we will be able to honor and boast in all that Christ has done for us as He takes us closer and closer and finally brings us home where He will make all things right. But secondly, Paul talks about his joy in the present he does that in verse 17. He says, even if I am to be poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with you all. Now, this is a stunning thing because what Paul, who is in prison, remember, uh, who is uh, chained to a guard, who does not have freedom at all, not just for a few weeks uh, while he's waiting for uh, the air to clear, but until his trial is over. And he's not certain how it will turn out. It could turn out in his death, or it can turn out in his freedom and an opportunity to continue to suffer for the cause of Christ. Either way, Paul says, I am being poured out. Now that, of course, has reference uh, to in the Old Testament, there were many types of offerings. 
but there was a, a, what was called a libation, which meant that you added something to all of the other offerings. You added uh, the pouring out of wine over the offering. It was sort of the final touch of the offering to show your gratitude to God. And Paul says, my whole life is that. I am being poured out. And he says, what am I being poured out on? I'm being poured out on all of your suffering, he says to those Christians in Philippi. He says, I love you, and I think about your suffering as something that's involved in mine. And he says, even being poured out, I have joy. Why? Because I'm being poured out for the glory and the cause of Jesus Christ. He has no hesitation. Now, we often think of gladness and joy as something we have when everything is going great. But for Paul, he could say, I'm glad and I rejoice, which simply is another way of saying, I have joy. Uh, I have joy even in the most difficult circumstances. Why? Because his joy was Christ. And so whether Christ was honored through the spread of the gospel to new people, or whether Christ was honored in Paul's faithful testimony in the middle of the most difficult situations, Christ was honored. And so Paul could say, I have joy about that because Christ equals joy. Now, I struggle with that. And so when Paul, lastly, turns to these Philippians and he invites them to share uh, joy with him, you know, he says there in 18, likewise, you also should be glad and rejoice with me. What Paul is saying is, is the gospel worth everything to you? Is the gospel worth everything to you? And I find, especially in times like these, where the struggle is real and the challenge is to continue to keep your heart focused on God in the middle of a very difficult circumstance, it is hard for me because as much as I mentally know that Christ is everything, and that only Christ brings joy, I often think to myself, but it would sure help if I could also have the freedom to go out and sit down at a restaurant with my wife. It would also help if I could travel to see my children. It would also help if, if I could just see one more Tottenham Hotspur match uh, this season. And I think about it, and I think, well, what am I really saying? Am I saying that my joy is a result of Christ and something else? Christ and having dinner out? Christ and seeing my children? Christ and watching an uh, English soccer game? Well, that is what I'm saying. And what do we do with that? When we realize that we're having trouble entering into the joy that Paul invites us into because our joy is Christ and something else. Well, friend, we repent. And we say, oh, Lord, I am sorry for being a holy whiner, for being someone who wants to say all the right things but ends up complaining about what other than Christ he wants or she wants. And repenting is wonderful because when we repent, we recognize to God how we have put other things on the same plane, on the same level as all that... Jesus is and all that Jesus has done for us. And it gives us an opportunity to focus back on Him. And we simply can say, Oh, God, help us. The best prayer. God, help us to know the value of Jesus. 
to be satisfied in Him alone. And then if my, what we call here in North America, suffering is to continue, you know, and I just have to eat the bounty of food that you've given me in my house as opposed to going to a restaurant, or I just have to be satisfied uh, with Zoom calls and FaceTimes with my children instead of seeing them in person, or I have to be satisfied uh, that soccer really isn't much of an alleviation of pain because I start to recognize that Christ is all in all. Praise God. It enables us to draw closer to Jesus because He is everything. And when we do so, we can join Paul in saying, I will rejoice. That means I will have joy because no matter what gets taken away, they can never take, it away, take away Jesus because He has given all for me and I will be glad to give all for Him for I will enjoy all of eternity with Him. That can give me joy right now today and I pray that it can give you joy as well. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we love You. We thank You for Your Word. Lord, we, I am tempted to marvel at Paul and even the Christians in Philippi because of their ability to have joy even when they're suffering persecution from their neighbors or from the Roman Empire in the case of Paul. Oh Lord, but I, instead what I want to do is say the strength that was at work at Paul in Paul and the strength that was at work in the Philippian Christians in the first century is the same Spirit that is at work within me and within every person listening or watching. We pray, O oh Lord, that we will lean in to Your power and Your work and Your goodness and know Your joy which comes through Jesus Christ who has suffered horribly that we might have infinite joy. Oh, we pray that we will lean into Jesus and that the only holiness we have will be holiness that reflects the work of the Spirit in our lives and the value of Jesus Christ to us, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you again for being willing to join us uh, for this message. We cannot wait until we can be together and worship together as a church community. We don't know exactly when that will be, but we trust God that He will bring it about. In the meantime, if you're watching and your home church is not King's Cross Church, remember to give to your home church. Uh, you can usually give online uh, you, or even mail in a check. And if you want to be a part of what we're doing here at King's Cross, I mean, we're not going to say no. Uh, we would love for you to pray for us and be a part of our vision. You can find more information uh, on our website. Uh, it should be here on the screen. Uh, or you can see it at the end of this message. Thank you for joining us again. Let me have you leave with a blessing. The blessing, uh, if you've heard a sermon from me before, you know this is my favorite. It comes from Numbers chapter 6. Hear now this blessing from God. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make His face shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up His countenance upon you and give you peace. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.